So welcome back to our series, uh, Luke, Tell the Story. And we wanted to study Luke over a couple of terms because Luke was very careful to travel around to do his research, to capture the teaching of Jesus and to write it down for us. And so we can trust Luke's historical account. And we're in the section of Luke uh, between chapter 9 and chapter 19 that we're calling On the Road. And it's the bit where Jesus and his disciples are traveling around the country uh, and and doing a lot of teaching. And in this section, there's a lot of teaching in parables. And uh, we've already looked at a couple of parables. So we've looked at uh, the Good Samaritan story. We've looked at the parable of the Great Banquet in the month of January. And um, today we're going to be looking at another parable, the parable of the, ri- of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke chapter 16. And um, we wanted to look at this parable, uh, which is a story that Jesus told, but it's not an easy one to understand. And so what we're going to do in a moment, we're going to have the passage read to us. And then we're going to kind of go through it verse by verse and try and understand this story that Jesus is telling. Uh, but first, I just want to say two things by way of context that I hope are going to help us when we come to look at the story, just to understand where it is. So we're just going to introduce it with two things. Uh, Firstly, a parable takes something that you do understand to try and explain something that you don't understand, something that you're familiar with to help describe something that you're not familiar with. So when Jesus is talking to farmers, he explains the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who went to sow his seed. And all the farmers are going, yeah, yeah, we understand that. And so it helps us to understand this. Now, here, Jesus uses a story in Luke chapter 16 that the people would have been very familiar with. It was a a well-known type of story that he tells about people that die and go to heaven and hell and then the interactions there. So he takes a story from his culture and he uses it to explain something new. Uh, It would be like if I used the Game of Thrones... Uh, to illustrate a teaching, you know, where Jon Snow dies, lays his life down for people and then is brought back to life again. I could use the Game of Thrones to explain the idea of sacrificial love, uh, but it doesn't mean that I believe in or endorse White Walkers and dragons and wargs. Uh, but I'm using a well-known story to explain something to help people understand. And then, so in the same way, Jesus, he employs a, a familiar story, a familiar type of story here from his culture. Heaven is feasting with Abraham, hell is a fiery pit, in order to not teach about heaven and hell, but to teach about money and attitudes and pride and class. And uh, so this is primarily a story about money and attitude, not primarily a story about heaven and hell. It's important to say that. In fact, Jesus taught more about money than about heaven, hell, prayer and faith. It's a big issue for the human heart. Uh, Will Smith said, didn't he? Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. And so uh, this story is primarily going to be about money and our attitude to it. That's the first thing. One more thing by way of context, and then we'll get into the story. This is the only parable that Jesus tells where he names a character. Parables, they're they're type stories. You know, once upon a time there was a man. He doesn't normally name people. But in this character, the rich man has no name, but the poor man is named Lazarus. Why does he name him? Well, there there are several potential explanations that will help us to understand the story. Firstly, he names the poor man not the rich man this shows that the poor man is more important 
to God, honoured by God somehow. Everybody knows the rich man's name in this world, but God knows the poor man's name. Secondly, the name itself, Lazarus, the Greek version, the Hebrew version of the name Eleazar, means he whom God helps. And so that's a really meaningful name. Thirdly, Lazarus was an extremely common name in those, na- in those days. It'd be like Dave today in England. You know, they say in England, everybody has a best mate called Dave somewhere. Um, Jesus is saying, therefore, uh, this is a common issue. This isn't an unusual story. This is a, an everyman issue. It's, it's a Dave issue. So all of those. But my favorite interpretation and understanding of why he names Lazarus is this, okay? We're in Luke. In John's gospel, there is a story about a friend of Jesus called Lazarus who dies. And then Jesus, you remember the story, stands outside the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb and comes back to life again. It's the most astounding miracle. And, but the resurrection of Lazarus actually triggers the chief priests in Jerusalem to issue the warrant for Jesus' arrest. Bringing Lazarus back from the dead so provokes the chief priests and threatens their religious monopoly that that's the thing that triggers uh, them saying we need to kill Jesus. And the question is, is the Lazarus in Luke in this story and the Lazarus in John, are they connected somehow? Well, it'll take a little bit of explaining, but I think they are. Um, The Romans in that period limited how long you could be chief priest for, okay? It's like in the US, you can be president for four years. It's a limited term. The Romans did that. They said you can only be chief priest for a short time. Uh, The clever uh, chief priests, they found a way around it. Have lots of sons, and then each of your sons can have a turn at being chief priest. And in that way, we can still keep our family in power. And so there was a guy called Annas, and he had five sons, Uh, and also a daughter and a son-in-law called Caiaphas. They all had turns at being chief priests for a while. And then the grandson, Matthias, was also. So at least eight members of this family were at some point the chief priest. And this is during the story of Jesus, during his time. Now, one of the brothers, one of those brothers, his name was Lazarus, Eleazar. Is it possible that Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, was a brother of this high priestly family. This would explain why this miracle made them so angry and threatened their power, their monopoly on religious control. But it would also explain the little gloss in our parable that we'll come to, where we, ha- we read that Lazarus had five brothers, but even if he were to come back from the dead, no one would believe him. So is it somehow that Jesus is using this story to poke fun at his friend Lazarus and somehow there's a connection here? So that's enough on that. Uh, But by way of context, two things, one about parables, one about Lazarus. Uh, So now I think those things will help us answer a lot of questions as we go. Now we're going to hear the passage read uh, and then we're going to go through it verse by verse and ask the question, what is God saying to us today in Reading? Let's listen. Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay, here we go. So the first verse, verse 19. There was a rich man. So Jesus is telling a parable. Once upon a time, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. So clothed in purple, that's the most expensive imported clothes. So think Gucci, Armani, okay? Uh, fine linen was his underwear. He had imported designer underwear from Egypt. Uh, so not only was he flexing the Gucci, but in case anyone was interested, he was also rocking Louis Vuitton boxer shorts too. And he threw parties every day so everyone could know how wealthy he was. And maybe he didn't even have to work. He was so rich he could just feast every day. Verse 20. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So here we have the poor man. He's named. He was laid at the guy's gate. That implies that he was carried there daily to beg. We've got a lot of people in our church from India. Uh, you guys would know in India... Often in the cities, every beggar has their patch, the place where they are laid every day. And this is their kind of patch where they can beg. So this was Lazarus's little space. He was covered with sores, anguish, agony. In their culture, he would have been considered cursed by God, God forsaken. He must have done something wrong. It's karma of some sort. Riches is a sign of blessing. This is what they thought. Poverty and sickness and being covered with sores are a sign of curse. You'd be considered a sinner. Jesus is going to invert that idea. He's going to smash that idea and say it's not okay. The equivalent in Reading today might be someone who always struggles with their mental health, with their mood, with depression. Uh, versus a sorted person who seems to have it all together. Or someone who's really down on their luck, someone who can't hold down a job or is permanently 
in debt or has developed an alcohol dependency, some might be tempted to judge them and say, oh, it's because you're lazy or because you're weak or because you're rubbish or because you're a mess. That's not what Jesus is going to say. He will call out the difference between popular middle class morality and the gospel. And Jesus will show that these are very different things. Hallelujah. Verse 22. The poor man died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. So the poor man dies. He has no funeral, but the angels carry him to heaven. The rich man dies and is buried. He has friends and family. He has a big funeral. Verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment... He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and he saw Lazarus at his side. So uh, now just a, a comment on these words then, Hades and torment and fire. Jesus is using, like I said, a common picture that they used in those days. Uh, he's not trying to tell us this is exactly what hell is like. He's using a picture that they understand to teach about money and its attitude. So you can't use this story to determine uh, what Jesus was teaching about what happens when people die. However, don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean we don't believe in judgment and in hell. Jesus does, however, teach about heaven and hell very clearly, just not in this story. And we will have to look at that later. We will look at that later. But there's this amazing swap. Uh, now the poor man is feasting and the rich man is begging now the poor man is in comfort and now the rich man is in anguish. Whatever they had on earth, they've got the opposite now, it seems. Verse 24, and he called out, the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his figure, finger in water and to cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. The rich man is unbelievable. He's unbelievably arrogant. He's not repentant here. He, he plays the family card. Father Abraham, you know, you're a Jew. I'm a Jew. We're family. We look out for each other. He's looking for nepotism for a past. He's, he's playing his race card here. Come on, do me a favor. And he plays his class card. He says to Abraham, send Lazarus. He thinks that Lazarus is still inferior to him somehow. He's from the serving classes. He needs to come and look, look after my needs. And he doesn't even address Lazarus. He won't even talk to him. He talks to Abraham and says, can you send him? It's, he doesn't speak to untouchables. It's unbelievably arrogant. It's an entrenched, unrepentant arrogance. Verse 25. But Abraham said, child... Remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. So he uses a passive verb here. You received your good things. In other words, they were a gift. You didn't earn, you didn't deserve your health, your wealth, your family and friends, but you received them. So if you're rich and well, it's not a blessing necessarily from God. It's not a sign that you're doing the right things. You received them. They were a gift. Friends, everything we have is a gift. Let's remember. Let's take a moment to acknowledge that, please. 
Uh, it will keep us grateful. It will keep us humble. So this verse does not teach that all rich people go to hell and all poor people go to heaven. That would be difficult because many of you listening are wealthy in terms of the world's standards. But it does teach that everything you have now is gift. So be grateful. Your actions now towards other people have eternal implications. So consider that. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And also that in heaven there will be some surprises. We will be surprised at who is rewarded and who is reprimanded. So the gospel comforts the afflicted and it afflicts the comfortable. It does both. Verse 26. And besides all this, this is Abraham still talking. Besides all this, between us, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So between the good place and the bad place, there is a chasm and no bridge, says Abraham. Think of it like this. You've got Reading and Caversham and in between the River Thames, which is in flood at the moment. So Reading is the good place. Comfort. Caversham is the bad place. You may be offended by that. Uh, anguish. And in between is the chasm. And until the 12th century, there was no bridge. The first bridge there, we understand, was built in the 12th century. So until then, there was no bridge and you couldn't cross. That means two things, says Abraham. It says those who would pass from here to you are not able. Those who want to go from heaven to hell can't, says Abraham. What, what's he trying to say here? Why would anybody want to go from the place of comfort into the place of anguish? Well, Kenneth Bailey, who we really trust, like his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, is brilliant on these kind of parables. He says this, Lazarus is whispering in Abraham's ear. I know that guy. I've known him my whole life. He's suffering. Please, Father Abraham, let me go and take him a cup of water. So Lazarus out of mercy and compassion and love, that might compel someone to want to go from heaven into hell on a rescue mission. Abraham says you can't do that. And also no one can pass from there to here. There's no bridge. Now Jesus is telling this story a few weeks before he's crucified in Jerusalem. And the purpose of his death to create a bridge between heaven and hell. Jesus is like a great tree, if you like, growing in heaven that is chopped down and he falls and he becomes a bridge like over the River Thames. And Jesus himself crosses in his death from the place of comfort into the place of anguish. Jesus crosses from life to death. He goes deep into the bad place. He goes deep into hell to rescue people from there and to carry them out and to bring them. So Jesus goes from life to death so that he can rescue people from death to life. Jesus goes from comfort to anguish so that he can rescue people from anguish into comfort. The cross is so that we can cross the gap. But one day it will be too late. So if you knew that uh, the, the bridge from Reading to Caversham was going to be blown up, you would make your choice while you still had time. The clock's ticking. Get across the river quickly because soon 
that bridge will be removed and then you'll be stuck wherever you are. So just to clarify what the Bible teaches about heaven and hell, what we believe Jesus is saying, and again, this passage isn't primarily teaching about heaven and hell, but we need to think about that. One day, Jesus will judge everybody who's ever lived. And there will be two choices, comfort or anguish, eternal comfort or eternal anguish. That's the language that's in this story. Jesus doesn't just stand on this shore and call people over. He goes on a rescue mission himself behind enemy lines, deep into anguish and death and darkness to, to rescue people from there and to bring them back into comfort. That's the gospel. You couldn't cross. Jesus came and got you. Those who have allowed Jesus to rescue them and bring them to the other shore will enter eternal comfort and will be rewarded according to their deeds that they have done while they were alive. There will be degrees of honour or reward that we don't fully understand will, will be meaningful on that day. A new eternal age will begin free from sin and God will be amongst his people in a renewed universe, in a renewed cosmos. And there is no second chance and God is just and we will trust his judgment. And those who rejected Christ, who refused to be carried to the other side, who, who didn't accept his invitation, will be judged by him, publicly declared to be traitorous, and will enter eternal anguish and given a just punishment according to their deeds done while they were alive. And they will suffer that punishment consciously for eternity, forever separated from the presence of God in a place that the Bible calls hell. There's no second chance and God is just and we will worship him for his justice. Let's continue with our last few verses of our story. Verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So the rich man he said, can Lazarus come and give me water? Abraham said, no. So now he says, okay, well then, in that case, if I'm done for, please send Lazarus back as a ghost or back to the world of the living somehow uh, to warn my five brothers, to warn them. But Abraham said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. They've got the Bible. Everything they need to know is written down in the Bible. They need to listen to that. And then the rich man, he makes his third request and he says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone went to them from the dead, they would repent. I know it. If someone came back from the dead and said, this is what it's like, they would believe, they would repent. And he said to them, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. Now, this was true for Lazarus in John's gospel. He came back from the dead. Many did believe. But many didn't believe. And also, this is a prophetic statement by Jesus himself, because he is on his way to Jerusalem to be put to death, to cross into hell, to try and rescue people, to make space so that we can cross into heaven, to become a bridge over the chasm. And then, to, and then Jesus is going to come back from the dead. But he says, even if I come back from the dead, there are still people who won't be convinced. It seems incredible, but it's true. 
So that's our story. There are lots of things to instruct us in this story. I'm just going to ping through a few of them, and then we are going to uh, go together to have communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, bread and wine, to respond to this. So let's just see, what, what are we hearing from this story? Number one, how we treat others has eternal implications. When we gossip, when we grumble, when we mistreat, when we ignore, when we wound, when we're bitter... The rich man ignored Lazarus's suffering and it was counted against him. So be wise. Secondly, love of money is the root of all evil. So be generous. Uh, I love this John Wesley, the, the preacher in the 18th century. He said this, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. He said, I know this can be dangerous. So as soon as it comes, I get rid of it quickly so it doesn't burn me. So it's not wrong to wear Louis Vuitton underwear, but it is wrong to ignore the suffering of those who are sitting at your gate. Be generous. Number three, if you are suffering, take heart. God knows your name. You are Lazarus, the one helped by God. Be hopeful. If the whole world doesn't notice you, if people walk past you every day, if you feel like you're invisible sometimes, you're not invisible to God. He sees you. Some of you, that's exactly, you said to yourself this week, you said, I feel like I'm invisible. Nobody notices if I come and nobody notices if I go. I feel like the Lord wants to remind you today, no, I know your name. And you are the one who is helped by God. Let him help you. And number four, it's all gift. It's all gift. Be grateful. Number five, middle class morality is not the gospel. Your culture judges people differently to the way that God judges people, be careful. Be careful who you judge, be careful who you write off, be careful who you dismiss and why. Number six, Jesus crossed from comfort to anguish, hallelujah, in order to carry us from anguish into comfort. Be rescued, allow him to come into your anguish and rescue you and bring you home. Don't be too proud to be rescued, to ask him for help, to ask him to save you. Number seven, one day that bridge will be dismantled and it will be too late to cross. And there are no second chances after that day. So be urgent. Be urgent. Choose your side carefully. And number eight. Even the greatest miracle of all, Jesus coming back from the dead, is not enough for some people. So believe. Jesus rose from the dead. Believe. Be wise, be generous, be hopeful, be grateful, be careful, be rescued, be urgent, and believe. How about you? Do you believe that Jesus came to rescue people? Do you believe that what we do now 
counts for eternity? Do you believe that there is life after death? Do you believe that Jesus came back from the dead? And how will you respond?